Welcome to Walking Backwards. I'm Brad Grimet. This week's guest is Eric Fletcher. He's a Steadicam operator, camera operator, and I've known him for a really long time. He's been doing it for quite a while, and we talked about all kinds of stuff. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please do me a favor and check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash walkingbackwards, and you can always email me at walkingbackwardspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Eric's here with me. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I'm pretty good. It, in typical fashion, we're already on our second drink exactly. <laughs> before exactly. we've started. <laughs> thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming in, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how far you had to come, but... Uh, over the hill. Okay. Yeah, I live over Birmingham, Glendale, so... Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. I'll send you home at rush hour. So perfect. It'll be perfect. <laughs> It'll be perfect. <laughs> and we were blabbing blabbing away talking and i brought up dexter so i wanted to make sure that we turn this on because because <laughs> we we're gonna tell all the good stories yeah, about exactly dexter. seven years of my life yeah seven years you did season what two through i did two two through the end including the super secret uh trip to oregon where we all flew on a commercial airliner <laughs> oh was there a super secret yeah there was a super secret uh we flew up on a commercial airliner and michael had the beard and everything and I uh, showed up, bombed into town, and uh, it was great. I was like on, let's see, we were on, uh, we were on force call, <laughs> and we were into like double and a half on the force call oh, for like twelve hours, because oh, they man. wanted, they also wanted to scout the first day we were there, so that we we would land, scout. Meanwhile, the trucks, the truck is driving up from L.A. with right. all the gear, and uh, and then get a good night's sleep, and then start the next day, shoot uh, shoot a whole day, and. And then wrap the series forever. Right on. Yeah. Well, to be, to be honest, I watched a bit of it, but not yeah. not that much. I, I didn't have Showtime, mm-hmm. so I didn't... Um, well, you probably got to see season... What was it? Season two or season three? Season three on TV when the writer's strike happened, because it was on CBS as an interim filler, which got us all laughing, because we were like... How are they going to make the language pass the network? Because really, you know, yeah, oh, I had no idea. Because you know, we had, uh, it had to be season three because it was with because Deb, and then Dokes was there. You know, with his famous line, "Surprise, motherfucker!" You know, I don't remember that uh, famous yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I saw a little of the first because as I was telling you before, I day played it on just right. a, I day played on it just a little bit and um and um. Yeah, well, since I'll finish the story. After. All right, cool. Uh, uh, yeah, the director, like, we have to roll to get this. Right, right, right. right. So it's, so it's. Uh, uh, I don't know how many days I did there. It wasn't many. It wasn't many. It might have been two or something. So oh, I thought you were there a little more than that. I don't th- think so, but it's been. Like everybody a, liked you. I will tell you that. Everybody, everybody enjoyed the time they spent with you on the show. So. But, okay, good. No, well, I mean, <laughs> I didn't like any of that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew Steve Herson right uh, already, so yeah. we had done a long movie together like a year before that mm-hmm. or something. So we, at least there was that. Yeah, so you know, him. So I didn't know anybody. So you knew else. him and Warren. So Warren, no, Warren Feldman, because he was uh, Herson's second AC. No, Brad was. Brad oh, Richard Brad was, was second AC yeah. in the movie. Okay, yeah. Actually, no, Brad that's was, not right. Because Brad was the B first on, no, 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 on no, Dexter no. until hang, season five. Okay, wait, hang on. I totally, okay, I'm screwing this all up. <laughs> One, Herson didn't get to bring a first. We were in Spokane, Washington. Oh, okay. He got a local first. A uh, second, I mean, sorry. Right. And on 
Dexter, I totally screwed up. Brad Richard was the B first. Yeah, he was B first. That's what I. He was yeah. B first. But he had one been. Four. But he had been uh, Herson's yeah. guy before that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Anyway, um, yeah. So, um, but so so seven a.m. Long Beach the summer. It's ninety five degrees. We're all sweating, and you know rehearsals up, and and it's this whole thing. And there's not a lot of movement going on. Somebody drops some stuff out of the groceries and this right. and that. Then the director's like, well, let's just do it all steady cam. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well. And I actually find sometimes that's a good way to introduce yourself to the show. Because right, right. then you show that you can do it. And they're like, oh, good. He can do it. And he didn't right. like, you know. And he didn't whine and, you know. Right, whatever. Whatever, right. Their, whatever their positives are about you. <clears throat> so I'm sure they could maybe find one about me or two. <laughs> so, um, so I'm like, okay, great. So we do it. It wasn't it wasn't that hard. We didn't do tons of takes of anything. It was, you know, it was fine. And like I said, it wasn't like a ton of movement. Yeah. Um, but then he's like, oh, we need that inner monologue. That's what you call it, right? The inner yeah, monologue. the inner monologue. The inner monologue thing of of, of Michael. Right, of, of Dexter talking to himself of why he's going to dispatch this. Uh... Right. And um, they're like, can we just do it on Steadicam? I'm like, yeah, sure. No, what's he doing? And he's like, oh, he's running. He's jogging down the sidewalk. I'm like, oh, God. And we can't, we cannot see past this part here, which means I have to run in the yard, like through people's front yard. Right. And 12 seconds sounds super short until you run backwards through grass. Yeah. And um, well, the first thing I did is went to the key grip and said, hey, I'm Brad. Nice to meet yeah. you. Do you have anything you can put me on for this? Yeah. Hey, Jason. Yeah. Because it's a good it's a good run, you know. And he's like, "Oh, let me look." And then they, I guess they didn't. He said the Western was too rickety. Or yeah, it's it, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "All right." So I so I ran it, you mm-hmm. know. And it was it was, you know, they wanted to do 20 seconds so they could use any right. part. They, oh, it's on my reel now, and it's <laughs> it's it, that's a really old reel, but it's not. It's not the worst running shot I've ever done. It's yeah. not the best, but yeah. um, but it was okay. Yeah, I made a deal with Gary Law in season three. That uh, what was it? There was some deal. That, you know, he'd get me a grip tricks whenever they wanted to run, and I'd do something else. But you know, it, I, I luckily never ever had to run on the show. It was always I always had grip tricks. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. And and honestly, a grip tricks, it would have wor- it would have worked. Yeah. It would have been better, but it would have been a little tough too because there were like. Um, mm-hmm. Um, the little whoops. Well, yeah. down yeah, down yeah. to the sidewalks. Right. And there was like two and then a driveway or something. Yeah, my first day shooting on, on location on Dexter, I, I will never forget it, season two. And, uh, the line producer, Gary Law, pulls over me and the other operator and goes, hey, just got to talk to you guys really quick. I said, okay. Because uh, see those mountains? Yeah. Shoot them and you're fired. And then he walks away. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no mountains down in Miami. But, you know, yeah. that, was, that was my introduction to... Uh, to Gary, the, the line producer of right. the show. It's like, okay, this right, is gonna be interesting. Types. And then later found out he was actually a really good guy. And if you know, if you asked for gear, all you had to do is make the argument of why you actually needed it, not because so it's he was reasonable. Be cool. Yeah. And then he'd give it to you. But you know Right. Yeah, hey, we want a fifty foot technocrane. Why? Because it's cool. No, you're not getting it. But you know. Right, 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 right. But if he right. said, Hey, it's a story point, you can go, Okay, you got it. Yeah. 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 Um Although they did they have fifty footers at that time? Yeah, they did have fifty footers at that time. Yeah, I time. think so. And and Romeo liked to operate B camera a bunch, didn't he? Or, um, or was it just a handheld or what was it was just a handheld. Was that and, all it was? Okay. And he did um he did a lot of handheld with me in season two and we did uh, kill rooms together in season two. And then in season three, uh the first kill room of the season 
uh, came three episodes in, and it was a kill, a freebo kill, and it was the network was really upset with the way it was being, uh, with the way it was in the script because it wasn't on a kill table. He was strapped to a ladder in a garage, and that's not a kill room. It's just what Dexter does, and uh, so. Uh, Romeo comes up and says, hey, you know, I, I want you to shoot the kill room. I'm not going to be in there this time. I'm like, okay. And uh, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to appease the network. I'm like, you know, I'll just start, you know, rolled over almost 90 degrees. So it looks like he's on a table. And then as Michael walks in, I'll just roll it up. And, you know, the network hit, gets their table and we get the kill. And, and uh, there was something about the in the previous season, Michael and I just kind of connected on the kill rooms. We were kind of inside of each other's heads. I kind of knew where he was going to go. He kind of liked where I went movement-wise. And, and it was always handheld, it was right? All, well, some were steady cam, some were handheld. We did one kill room on a crane. We did stuff on on uh, bungee cam. Um, There's always a lot of movement. It was a ton of movement. Okay. We changed it up. We never wanted Michael to feel constrained. We wanted him to, to move like a caged animal. Right, right, right. So it was, you know, you got to think on your feet, operate on your feet, make a decent-looking shot all this and uh so we just we did this thing and it was a big garage and at one point he's on one side of one corner of the garage and i backed off to the other corner and he comes running up to oops sorry he comes running up to uh <laughs> well that's where to freebo. yeah he comes running up to freebo and i basically countered and, and arced around and went from a wide shot where I saw the whole garage into you know the typical Dexter close-up, which scared the crap out of new directors because they were like, "Wait, your your chin's to eyebrows." It's like, "Yeah, that's the close-up here." Mm-hmm. And um, it's always interesting now when you get to work a different show where it's like, you know, a waist to the head is a close-up. Okay, that's easy. Yeah, well, um, there's so many shows. Yeah. It's like they have their rule yeah. that they break once in a while, but their rule, you know, their rule is this up yeah. or never you never get past their neckline or right. what, or whatever it might be like. so and, and on dexter that was that was the thing is is if it's something you did on another show it's wrong just right. throw it out just do what is right for the scene and, every but uh, every show's kind of like that in its own way yeah right yeah but and on this show it really encouraged you to do some really right. silly things and no, that's cool and the thing was michael was fearless i mean i could put the map box right up against his face and he was just perfectly fine with it yeah, yeah. but uh, we finish up we finish up in this tight close-up and you know, Brad radios up on on the walkie. He says, "Hey, buddy, you left me two inches on the bottom." And I responded back. I said, "Yeah, I left two inches on the bottom. <laughs> you know, I wasn't at minimum focus. So, mm-hmm. so why are you calling me on the radio?" But um, uh, Marcos walks in and says, "Oh my God! You know, if the camera broke, we've got the whole scene." And I think we did like four, three or four more takes. We basically just inserty stuff, and then uh, and then Michael bolts off the set and kill room days he's always a little weird anyway and, and about an hour later I, I see Romeo talking to the producers and then I get motioned over and, and uh, it kind of changed the show at that point it was Romeo wasn't in the kill room anymore it was just me by myself and just one camera and uh, it was going to be me and Michael and then season four we kind of quit rehearsing the kill room because mm-hmm. Michael was like do we need to rehearse and I was like no and then uh, season five, it was like, do we need a director telling us what to do? <laughs> I'm like, no, dude. You know, but you're the actor. And so season five, we basically said, no, no more directors in the kill room. <laughs> and on kill room days, it was like this four hour block where Michael and I went into a room and played. Four hours. Yeah, we we had a lot four hours to shoot it because it took a long time to get the guy onto the table or the victim because it wasn't always a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a long time to get the victim on the table and. 
and then he and I would just experiment and play. Four hours for how long on the on the episode? Whatever the scene was. So the scene usually lasted about two minutes. Yeah. Hmm. So you know, everybody went off and read their scripts, which was one of the really cool things on Dexter was. It's one of the few shows I've been on where everybody read every draft of every script. I mean, really? PAs, PAs, grips, electrics, everything. I did not sign a single, nobody signed a single NDA on Dexter and there was no leaks. Right. When I worked on True Blood, we signed three NDAs and there were tons of leaks. Right. So it just tells you how they, the crew loved the show. Yeah. It was a really unique experience. That's cool. Yeah. Um, that's probably, you know, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that we all get one show that's really our our ultimate, and uh, I think I think that was Dexter, right? You know, for me. Well, at the same time, for a bunch of that, you were doing um, uh, True Blood at the same time. Yeah, yeah well, not was, at the same time, but like they were they were opposing. Yeah, yeah. Seasons, uh, right? <clears throat> there was actually a lot of crossover between the two shows, right? A lot of people worked on both. Not really. Not, no. really. not really. Not well, really. It was, did, it was no. Brad did. Okay. Um, and then Brad left Dexter to be True Blood full time. Okay. Uh, and Rome, it was her son? No. Oh, no. Okay. It was uh, Brad went over. Um, basically, Romeo went over uh, to do an episode in season one B because there was a there was a writer strike. And they they'd been going through a bunch of operators on the show, and I got a phone call, um, and it was you know hey check up Reese he wants you to come in and do True Blood. They want to they want to try you out for an episode. Like sure, I'll, I'll come in and do an episode. It's like, you know, I've done a lot of vampire shows in my life. I'll add another vampire show to the. To what the other resume. vampire shows have you done? Uh, Angel. Oh, that's right. Vampire Diaries. <laughs> oh, did you do Vampire Diaries too? Yeah. Oh, I worked on that one a little. Yeah, too. exactly. Were you on that f- full time at some point? No, point? no. I, I went down. Break. I would, uh, I would go down and do double up days, or I would do uh, days that shots couldn't do. Um, uh, Dave Perkle brought me down the first time. Uh, Terrence had to leave for some personal reasons, so I came down and covered for Terrence. Uh, Terrence Nightingale. Oh, was he on that show? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Season three. Oh, like in the early season three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, it's like okay, great. I, I kind of I do a lot of shows of blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I got called to come in on on season one and. Uh, we made the deal. Okay, you're going to come in on Monday, and the writer's struck on Friday. Oh, God. And uh, so in season two, I'd come in, and you know, Romeo brings me in to do some day playing, and the producers are all like, why is your name so familiar? Why Why do we feel like we've talked to you before? It's like, well, I was the next one in, and then the writer's struck. And they're like, oh, yeah. So they struck right like three days they, they, before they you struck, They struck right not, in the middle of the season. Not four days after you came in. Yeah, no, they struck three days three before it came oh, in. God. I was like, Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I just started Dexter on that. And he was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll come in and, and play this because Dexter had wrapped for the season. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was, you know, when we all had a nice eight-month vacation, you know, from October to uh, to May. And what was that, 2008? Uh, yeah, 2008. I, re- I remember because I did a movie in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and and that the strike was happening right at the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This is so perfect." I'm right. doing this movie it's short, six weeks in the Bahamas or something, but I'll come back. They'll have worked their shit out. Yeah, I'm so lucky to have a job right, right. now. Came back, <clears throat> mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. 
That was weird, too. I mean, I barely had internet service down there, and right. you couldn't use phones. Well, mm -hmm. you could use your phone, mm -hmm. but it was a... I forget what it was. It was like a dollar to make a call. Right. And then a and dollar then, a minute. And then a dollar a minute. It was like talk. some yeah. ridiculous... I, I remember because my second, his bill was $900. Oh, man. After like week two. <laughs> <laughs> And he's going to production. Uh, these well, are all production the calls. Text, the texts were the same way, too. So you couldn't... Right. I just turned... I literally turned my phone off. Right. So we didn't have... I didn't have big connection to news going on. And, you know, it's not like they have CNN going right. around. Um, we were in Freeport, too. So it's a little even mm -hmm. slightly less, you know, mm -hmm. which was kind of nice, actually. But then, you know, people would tell you, yeah, the writer's strike, it's not, it's not getting fixed. And, like, came back, it was not fixed. Yeah. Yeah, we so. uh, we wrapped the season of Dexter, and that was a long lot of discussion. It was wrapping season two of Dexter, and then, you know, I was off for like two weeks, and I get this phone call. And, yeah, sure, I'll go. I'll go play in True Blood. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. that's gonna be perfect. It'll fill up the year. I'll go back to Dexter. It'll be great. You know, because they're already on episode eight. You know, it's only gonna be four more episodes. So what is that on True Blood schedule? It's eighty days. Because <laughs> True Blood was scheduled 12 days an episode. It was. It was scheduled 12. And in that schedule was an additional six days of dollops. Get out of here. So each episode was technically 18 days. Wow. And so it was great. Like when I was playing there in, in season two, you know, after Dexter wrapped, I'd go in, I'd do, I'd do four days, I'd do six days every other week. And I was like... Yeah, I'm not looking for a full time show. I'm just going to do it. No, my, it's pretty close I'm to full time. My, exactly. That's actually kind of dream job. Oh, it's perfect. Because you, when you're on a full time show, you like don't have time to do anything. Yeah, you go in and do three days one week, three days the next week, and then beautiful. you have a week and a half week, a week and a half off. It's a beautiful thing. And it was it was great, and I get the full week's rental on the rig. Right. Sure. And it was paying a decent rate, and then you know, what was it? Two years after I started playing in True Blood, that's when the uh, the deal with the union and HBO came back that they're not a startup and we all ended up getting these giant retro checks for oh, really yeah it was like for a season and a half of double ups you know it was just like all of a sudden this check comes in the mail and goes well that screwed up tax planning for this year <laughs> right because right, it was right, right. it was a not insignificant check it was a rather right large check so it was that's like, awesome okay this is pretty cool nice um the long schedule reminded me of uh, American Horror Story, which mm -hmm. I think you d worked on a little yep. too. I worked a little I on that. Think down a in different New season than me. Oh, you did New Orleans. I did stuff? New Orleans. I did stuff here. I did the yeah. hotel. Yeah, you did the season after I did. Is that what it was? Yeah. So, yeah, but, we've got a lot of shows where you and I have worked on the same show, but never at different times. At different times. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I uh, when I was there, I did. I worked on. In the few days I was there, I worked on see, uh, episode one, two, and three, mm -hmm. which was so weird. Episode one, or no, maybe just two, three, and four. It's something right. like that. Um, but but I remember the director of episode two was, he was 22 days in mm -hmm. to his episode, and they had six or eight scheduled. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? <laughs> The, the schedule for the season four opener of True Blood, it was scheduled 18 days and we shot 28 Jeez. for one episode. Crazy. We had a tree on stage. It was like three quarters of a million dollars because it had fruit that lit up that you could pick off the tree and eat. 
Oh, it was like real. It was real. It was gelatin fr- fruit with LED tail lights in them and batteries. And oh my you god! You could take a bite into it. Weird. Every time they took a bite, you know, some some prop person was like, "Okay, that's another hundred and fifty dollars. That's another hundred and fifty dollars." Right. And going, you know, right, right, right. It was right, right. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. The one I did had a had an elevator built on the stage, mm-hmm. but there was no there was no place to get off. So when I did the big shot. Where I led them into the elevator, mm-hmm. and then they have a long conversation while we're going up. It would come to a stop, so they they had to nail their lines. Right. So if they missed them, the elevator right. would stop. But um, but then it would stop, and then and this is a shot I did all the way through the hotel, and the and um and then they'd have to okay let blur down oh 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 the thing, and I'm like with the rig like just jammed into the corner exactly. sweating and the the actors are like so what'd you do this weekend i'm like ah. <laughs> you know it wasn't that bad but you know you throw it on your shoulder and yeah. whatever but we we had a set like that on on uh, oh God, what was it season six of dexter season seven and they built an elevator and you know He's supposed to get caught halfway between the floors, and you know the elevator opens up above after he climbs up to the top. Oh right! And we had a set of elevator doors in the front of the set mm-hmm. that they did not make functional to get into the set because we were shooting in the shaft. He had to take the back wall of the elevator shaft off, then the back wall of the elevator car, load us all in, and so I, I, I told the AD, I said, "Hey, can we bring the you know, production designer down?" And so Jessica comes down, and I'm like. Hey, she's like, what do you think of the set? It's great, isn't it? I'm like, it's an amazing set. I want you to come into the set with me for a second. So come in. The grips close up the back door. They close oh, up the wall. Oh, and so she gets locked like, in with you. Okay. So she's like, oh, I, have, I have a meeting in two minutes. I'm like, mm-hmm. Good luck. You have a meeting in two minutes? You're in your set. Why don't you go out the front door? Well, they don't work. Why don't they work? Well, it's budgetary. Well, you're not going to make your meeting now, are you? <laughs> Man. <Yeah>. Rude. <laughs> I know. So I mean, that's like uh, stuff like that. Well, she she enjoyed making. A, she tried to keep finding how small of a set she can make that I'd actually work in. Right. right, right. So it's like they do stuff where they'd have to build the shelves in on top of me. I'm behind the, in a closet behind a rack of Constant shoes. Constant battle. And then build the shoes up, and it's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's you. I get it though. Like, <laughs> I get it. She's yeah. like, oh, it'll cost us five grand or whatever it might be to build to make the doors work, and yeah. they don't have to work for the shot. And she yeah. doesn't think about right, but that's why it's nice when efficiency. Well, she yeah, she doesn't well, think and, about how and, much it costs per minute or and per honestly, hour. that's why I brought her down to the set and put her in the room. Right, it was like okay, this right. is a problem, you yeah, know. Yeah. And if there's a fire in the set, it's an even bigger problem. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't even thinking about safety. Reasons, yeah, the, but of course, because Jason wouldn't even lock the lock. The, he wouldn't even uh, bolt those set together because he's like, no, there's no way you can get out if it's on fire. No, of course not. Yeah. Or if there's a fire somewhere else and you have to get out. Well, I mean, we almost yeah. burned down. We almost burned down Sunset Gower in season three. <laughs> really? Yeah. What happened? Um, got a little aggressive on a on a burn on a set, and uh, the set kind of flashed over and. Nobody had, you know, power washed the uh, the perms, and there was, you know, eighty years of dirt, dirt oh, and dust no. up there. And so the perms caught. Sparks are going up uh, in the perms, and you know, the fire chief was not a happy camper that day. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I've experienced the overzealous effects person oh. before. Well, the show I the show I met David Boyd on. We were talking about David earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was a fire show up in Salt Lake City. Oh, and uh, what was that called? Firestarter. Oh, okay. Fire started rekindled. 
Okay. You know, uh, Charlie's grown up. And when Charlie gets excited, Charlie causes fires. And gotcha. Charlie had a uh, an interesting love life. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> what network was that? USA? Is that, that was uh, USA or Sci-Fi, which okay. is the same. It's Universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. It was fun. We had a lot, we we burned a lot of stuff on that show and had some problems. Yeah, well, there's so I mean, there's so much burning on sets. Well, okay. When there's a lot of burning on sets, it means you're working nights most of the time. Yeah, precisely. Or inside. Yeah. It was pretty cool because uh, it, it was a very, very Hooper moment on the movie. They were like, so the city of Ogden's going to rip down these two square blocks of Ogden, and they've given it to us so we can just blow it up and do whatever we want. Oh, really? So we, we literally burnt down two blocks of the city of Ogden. And, in Utah. In Utah. And it was really cool also because they had, they had tons of fire departments out, and they all used it as training. And I mean, literally, when we torched it for the final scene, we torched the hell out of it. Right. It was a massive raging fire. And then it was like, okay, this fire department, you get to work that into the street. This And they actually got to fight real fires because it was real buildings we lit on fire. Right, 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 right. Instead of just that, mm-hmm. that those tower things that they use or whatever. Um, I mean, there was a lot of those in there. And, you know, it's always fun when the stunt coordinator is like, hey, I need to see you 15 minutes before we do this big burn. I'm like, why? He goes, well, you know, we've got that fireproof bunker that you're going to be in, but, you know, I just need to see you before the burn. I'm like, okay. And I go back, and they're like, hey, we want to fire gel you. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to slather you in fire gel just in case. (laughs) Well, we had had so many accidents on the movie, they weren't taking any chances. Yeah, I'm like, if you're if you think you need to fire gel me, I'm in the wrong spot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, did you pay? Did you get hazard pay? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, made, I've yeah. never gotten hazard pay. Well, should have many times. <clears throat> here's probably. the interesting thing about hazard pay, and and until I, until I explained why we wanted it to the line producer and Dexter, he was like, "I'm never paying hazard pay." And the thing is, is it's not about the eighty dollar bump, because that's what we get. We get it's an eighty dollar payment that's non taxed and it's like a one time thing, right? Well, it's it's supposed to be for each incident. Right. So if you do five takes, you're supposed to get five $80 bumps. Right. Generally, they'll give you one $80 bump and go, uh-huh. ah, you just had to do more takes. Uh-huh. But what it does is it, it changes the insurance coverage. Right. That I knew. I and knew about it, the insurance. <clears throat> it goes from a $5 million policy to a $50 million injury policy. So if you get hurt, you don't have to come back and sue the production company. And that was my explanation to Gary was, <clears throat> excuse me, is if you pay us, if you pay us this hazard bump, Mm-hmm. You're indemnifying yourself. They're, you know, our claims aren't going to get big enough that we're going to have to come back and and file, you know, and have lawyers involved. And he was right. like, "Oh, okay." And then at that point forward, he was fine with hazard pay. Paying you once, yeah, not yeah, paying not his, every take exactly. Because <laughs> he's like, if it's got to be more than one take, that's your fault. Like, not really. Sure it is. Yeah. Right. When the actor flubs the line, it's right. my fault. Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, one's better than none, I guess. <laughs> But, um, I mean, then the question becomes like, well, if you're on take four and that's when the accident happens, right? was that the take that you were getting paid for? Right. Well, I guess, oh, I probably shouldn't say any more about this situation. (laughs) (laughs) So I just figured it all out in my head very quickly and I was like, "Uh, I'll shut up now. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's cool. So, oh, so you did Angel as well. Yeah. I, uh. 
So wait, let me ask you a very serious question. Okay. <laughs> I always get it's not as wait much a minute. You, you and I talking serious. I always <laughs> get I always get told that I look. Like yeah, David you do Boreanaz. look like Boreanaz. And you worked with him a bunch, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been told that a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my mind, you have several advantages over David. What What are those? Well, you're a lot nicer <laughs> than he is. Oh, okay. All righty. <laughs> you don't trip over cracks. You don't trip over painted lines on the floor. Oh boy. Oh, he's super clumsy. Oh, is he? In fact, anytime you see Angel running or walking with his back to the camera, it's, it's his him. stunt double. <laughs> really? Yeah, he walks that badly. That's funny. That's um, really funny. Yeah. Huh. Well, certain people have told me I look so much like him that that I could pass for him. And 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 I heard, and maybe this isn't true, that he owned a bar somewhere around in L.A. And I'm like, huh, if he goes to that bar, I bet I could go in. <laughs> yeah, but I, I might have. Yeah, I don't know if he owns a bar or not, but uh, yeah, you could definitely pass for him. Oh, okay. Cool. Good for me. Yeah. He's almost as good looking as I am. Almost. <laughs> but was that a fun show? Uh, that was a spinoff of Buffy, right? Yeah, it was a spinoff never, of Buffy. Never saw a minute of it. Sorry. No, uh, that's fine. I... <laughs> I I got offered the job and uh, didn't know that it was a vampire show. Okay. And uh, You thought it was an angel show? I thought it was something else. And, and you know, and the DP's like, hey, well, why don't you record it this weekend? This is when we all had v- VCRs. And I was off doing that show in, in Salt Lake where we're, you know, blowing stuff up. And, oh. And, uh, I, oh, so it was on already. So yeah, it was on already. CD1. It was on, I think it was like Thursday nights on, on what became CW. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> so on Saturday afternoon, you know, I wake up and oh, well, maybe I'll go sit down and watch, you know, watch that show. I said yes to it. Sit down, watch the opening credits. It's like, wait, oh, he's a vampire? This means I'm working nights? Oh God, what I get myself into? Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and man, did we work nights on that show? It was almost as many nights as doing on True Blood. So, really? Yeah, it was a lot of nights and. So I, only did, of, I only did one season of the show. a lot of exterior? Yeah. 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 I only did one season of the show. It's like, yeah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I want to find something else. Was um, was Whedon involved in it? Was Joss Whedon mm-hmm. involved in it? Yeah, he was. Uh, he actually directed two episodes. And, oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, it was a nice It was a nice highlight. I, I did a steady cam shot uh, with a ballet dancer on stage, and I followed the ballet dancer around, and and I bring her off to the side of the stage and introduce our characters. And um, at the end of the take, Whedon comes up and just grabs him by the shoulders and goes, ah, "That's the most beautiful Steadicam shot I've ever, I've ever had done on one of my shows." I was like, "Okay, cool. oh, cool, cool, Jamie." Yeah, yeah. he's a nice guy to work. He's with. He's a great guy to work with. I did a super, pilot with him. Super cool. Yeah, um, knows what he wants. Prepared. Yeah. 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 Future directors take note. <laughs> he's oh, <yeah>. prepared. <laughs> well, and he's also, it's nice now. I don't know how it was then because it's a little while ago. Um, but I worked with him in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I think Avengers was a giant hit at the time. And we were doing the pilot. And, you know, if if ABC or Disney or Marvel or whoever said, hey, Joss, we think you should do this, he'd go, uh-huh. Okay, moving on. <laughs> like, he could do whatever he wanted. Right. And and <laughs> nobody could really say. And it and it's good. So it turned out well. So you well, can't argue with it. You know? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think one of the things that he has going for him is he has taste and sensibility. Mm-hmm. 
and but he also has some conviction and he knows what he wants mm-hmm. and he's willing to say no I mean take a look at Firefly Firefly wasn't what the network thought it was getting and he was standing by his guns he's like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. because it's not gonna be true to the story yeah so I, I you know I have massive respect for that it's it's funny when we worked together this was another David Boyd David Boyd shot it and and Alan, who shot Firefly, mm-hmm. and Alan Easton, uh, I think Joss, David was happy to have him as well, but right. but but uh, Joss was like, we got to get Alan back, because Alan did Firefly. When it was a one-camera show, mm-hmm. and almost all handheld, and Alan did it all, and, you know, Joss remembered him. I don't know how many years later it was. Right. Uh, when was Firefly? 05 or something, maybe? Uh, no. guess? But Firefly was... Oh, two was okay. the pilot. Oh, so because, it's been because over I 10 did years. because I did I did Angel oh one oh two, and the pilot of Firefly was in April of oh two, and then they went to series, right for the for the oh two oh three season, right? Yeah, so it'd been over over ten years. Yeah. So, um, and I I don't actually don't think they'd worked together since. So yeah, um. But it's nice when you get you know somebody who recognizes people that he likes working with right. or she likes working with and, and keeps the keeps the band together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah, and he's a nice guy too. Yeah, I mean, like they weren't doing a rap party for this pilot, um, so I I tend to do these things sometimes. I was like, let's find a bar in the area. You know, I started talking <clears> to the <throat> camera department, and we were at this one place for like the last two days, so right around lunch on the last day I just started kind of telling everybody hey we're going to wherever tonight this Mm -hmm. total dive bar in Glendale but Mm -hmm. it was you know where Riverfront Studios are Mm -hmm. right near there okay that's where we were shooting it it, it was a five minute drive from there (laughs) total dive stages oh oh yeah oh yeah Um, well we were we were and ironically not not by the river no (laughs) But a big, big fight scene in there, right. and <clears throat> we crashed and banged and broke a lot of shit. So it was kind of—I don't know why they did it there. So we shot, we shot at Universal. We shot at. Did we shoot at Warner Brothers too? We shot at all these. Maybe Fox. No, 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 no. Sorry, Universal Culver, mm-hmm. which is where the show stayed. Right. Like I don't know why we couldn't just do that there, but we couldn't for some reason. Right. So you know, you end up where whatever stages they can get that fit the bill. Um, but anyway, uh, I got off track. But long story short, everybody showed up, including mm-hmm. Joss. And Joss was like the fifth crew member there. Right. And um, and so we're like talking. And this is super divey bar. And there were two. When I walked in, there were two people at the bar and two people in the back having a drink at like 10 at night on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he came in, and then these two dudes that were in the back, like he and I were chatting for a minute, and then they just come over and they're like, "Hey, man, uh, can, can can we get your autograph?" <laughs> He's like, "Sure." And I'm like, I just looked at him. I'm like, "You don't want a photo, huh?" Or, okay. I didn't say anything. I'm like, I said, "When's the last time somebody asked you for an autograph?" He goes, "Oh, it happens plenty, but most are photos." I'm yeah. Like, oh, okay. This is really weird. Anyway, um, but. The point is, he showed up. You know, well, not I, only him, but everybody else. I think most of the actors came. And well, and like, nice people, in other words. He there's a character in Angel, um, Numfar, and Numfar is uh, 
he's in another dimension and basically uh, he looks like a court jester mm-hmm. and he just bounds around and I mean basically it, it's a, it's a really embarrassing type role well Joss does it himself Joss oh, really? is numfar oh really and he runs around and you know he's in you know joker tights and all this stuff and he runs around and dances and sings these weird songs uh-huh. and it's kind of like his way of saying you know hey I'm just another person you know doing it and it's that's totally funny. hilarious when you look at him. It's like, how often did he wow. do that? Like in eight or ten episodes. No way, really. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. And it's people like, knew it was him, though. Oh yeah. And it's like, wow, you're Joss Whedon, you know, right? Major talent in Hollywood, and you're willing to act like a fool. Yeah. Yeah. And he was Joss Whedon already, pretty yeah. hardcore, wasn't he? Yeah. Because that was after Buffy, right? Angel was after Buffy. It was a spinoff of Buffy, and right. Um. We had we had some crossover with Buffy characters, like you know, the the Darla character came over, who was killed in Buffy, and it was was Angel Julie himself Band. on Buffy. Yeah, Angel himself oh, okay. was on Buffy, yeah, yeah. And, and then Darla came over and had Angel's son, uh, and that was Julie Benz, and that was the first time I got to kill Julie Benz. So and she and I got to be good friends on Angel, and then then she was in Dexter as Rita, mm-hmm. and I killed her again. It's <laughs> funny, yeah. I remember, I, I didn't, she was very nice. She's awesome. person, yeah. She's awesome. She and I are still good friends. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've never worked with her since then. I did work with Michael mm-hmm. uh, another day. I mentioned your name. I, I won't tell you what he said about you. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, he probably went, yeah, I know her. <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was not, it was certainly nothing negative. I'm yeah, I know. Mike, Michael's shit. a very quiet, shy dude. And for some reason, he and I hit it off, and that's why he was like, "No, I just want you doing kill rooms." <laughs> you, right? You get you get the character. Yeah, he's he's almost method, huh? Oh, he's totally method. Is that what on, it on is? kill room days? It's like, well, I, n- I don't, don't know. talk to Michael. It's it's a bad day. You know, he's in a bad. He's you know just not a happy camper on kill room days. Right. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't work with him like the amount you did, but just I noticed. But I, I got to tell you, he is a very generous actor, uh, as an uh, both to other actors and to operators. Like if if I would be like, "Hey, Mike, if you can just throw your weight on, sure, boom," mm-hmm. um, you know, without even thinking about stuff, he he's very much friend of camera. Yeah, um, definite pro, super super pro. That was one of the other crazy things on Dexter was everybody was so prepared. That we never went more than three takes. There was no need to. And if we had a director that went more than three takes, the cast was annoyed. Mm-hmm. And so the show actually moved along at a nice clip. It wasn't like some of the other shows I've done where you know, you're doing yeah. 16 hour days all the time. Yeah. It was a little longer when I was there. I remember having to fly. Well, that was first season, and, and they were just getting their feet. They're and, still figuring it and out. And the funny thing was, nobody thought they were going to get a second season. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was. I remember doing a 16, 17 hour day. The I mean, weird, we we did do we did do one day. I get days, it, I get but it, but it wasn't all the time. It wasn't right, all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. But I, I remember I had to fly to Detroit like four hours after we wrapped, mm-hmm. and, and Romeo had to fly to New York like right. four hours after. But um, but that was a weird day. For, I'm just remembering now because the first scene up was that all steady cam scene that I already talked about, and then the very last scene was all steady cam. Mm-hmm. And it was rain mm-hmm. on a. Ooh, I almost had a fall on a, the like a, a front 
opening to there there's an outside door to a big building and there's, right. it's all tiled right they're making rain on it you know um <clears throat> but uh yeah so there was those two shots but all the rest of the day was handheld mm-hmm. so i didn't do shit right. i just sat on the truck like right because like, romeo because romeo did it in for like one. 13 hours yeah. or 12 hours or whatever i sat on the truck oh well, yeah yeah those but, are fun those are fun days for steady cam operators not really um, yeah or no. for any operator i mean because it's like you know you get fired up you get you get in the groove right away in the morning, and then all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to sit. Now well, I'm going plus to find I'm, the end of the internet. Plus I'm, right. Plus I'm like a sweat box. Right. Well, also it was 08. I mean, nobody, I didn't have my, I didn't have a smartphone. Right. You know? None so, of us did. So yeah. you're like reading a book or whatever, you yeah. know? Um, but anyway, I'm sure you've had plenty of days like that. Yep. Um, let's see, what else? Um, oh, there's a movie I wanted to talk to you oh, about. Oh, God. Um, Considering how few movies I've done. <laughs> no, it's not a Cinemax movie, man. Come on. I promise. Um, it's a movie called Neon Demon. Yeah. Um, that I saw... Nicholas and Natasha. Who's Natasha? Natasha Brer is a DP. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, Nicholas... Pronounce his name for me. <laughs> Nicholas. <laughs> I would never pronounce the is last name. Is it like Winding Refn? It's, it's Winding Refn. It's oh, exactly okay. what it is. Oh, okay. That's, that was me yeah. g- guessing, I guess. Um, but I like his I like his films. He was an interesting cat to work with. He had never used Steadicam in his movies before. Oh, really? Yeah. Not not anything? Not even Drive? Not even Drive. Oh. And uh, so my first day there, like a third of the morning was just showing him basic movement, what we could do with Steadicam. So he like yeah. literally didn't know what Steadicam did. Yeah, I mean, and he's he has a very he has a very uh, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Only a beer and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a very lockdown aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a very composed, deliberate mm-hmm. aesthetic. Uh, it's very which, Wes which, Anderson. Yeah, which goes with sure. his, which goes also with his pacing of his movies, <clears throat> and. Um, so he didn't want to see any role, any headroom bop, you know, nothing like this. He wanted it just just to look like a dolly, but where you couldn't move a dolly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was there. I, I was there for seven of their production days, and then uh, my last day, I get wrapped, and then I get called back to set because neither the DP nor the operator knew how to use the wheels, and they had a crane shot. <laughs> so then I came in and did like three days of crane work on the show. No way, really. Yeah. And the other thing he does, uh, he shoots in order. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care how badly that impacts the schedule. Oh. It's, he shoots in order. Really? Yeah. That's a big demand. It is a huge demand. Especially when you have multiple locations yep. and, you know. Yeah. Well, if you take a look at his movies, they're all here for a while, then they're here for a while, then they're here for a while, and he generally doesn't revisit Go a location. Go back too much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was um, it was a lot of fun, and and I mean, Natasha did an amazing job lighting it. It's 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 a really interesting looking movie with a lot of really um, striking colors in it, mm-hmm. um, and it gets more interesting when you realize that Nicholas is colorblind. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And I had a talk with Natasha. I, I just did a movie with her uh, back in June, and uh, I was like, "So, how is?" I was grading the movie with Nick considering his color deficiencies and um there were a lot of expletives. 
That was a hard <laughs> Right, 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 right. She has to explain everything. Yeah. That's really And funny. he's like, you know, more contrast. She's like, no, no more contrast. You don't want more contrast. You know? Right. Or things like that in scenes. And it was kind of interesting. But uh, That's funny. it's a pretty striking looking movie. Yeah. Yeah, it looks good. It, it's. I like the tone of the movie. I love mm-hmm. the title of the movie. Yeah. It's a great title for yeah. a movie. Maybe one of my favorite ever, honestly. Neon Demon. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, and Elle Fanning, who I like so much. Um, she's been great. I mean. And she was great to work with. She was just super easy. You know, she knew she knew what the role was and she knew what what Nicholas wanted out of the role. How and old was she at the time? Was she 18? No, Neon Demon was shot. I I asked because I wonder if her mother was there. Because she has this great family and this great mother. Uh, her mom was there. Yeah. Did you speak to her mom at all? Not really. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah. They're from they're from Georgia. Yeah. They're super nice people. Yep. I, I did, I think, either the first or one of the first of Dakota's first job ever. Wow. And I became very friendly with mm-hmm. her mom and her and... They were, she, Dakota was super sweet. I don't know Elle. I've never met Elle, but um, uh, I can't remember her mom's name. I've, I've met Dakota. Nice I've met Dakota, and Elle is Dakota's sister. I mean, same way, right? Same way. Yeah. I, I you know, and, and, you know, they were brought up by Southern parents mm-hmm. in the South. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a very specific way that, you know, Southerners are. And, yeah. And they are exactly that super polite. Their her their parents are both like very intelligent too. And extraordinarily intelligent. Her dad's ex, both the girls are really pro baseball player. I yeah, think. yeah. <clears throat> and both the girls are super. Oh intelligent. yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very clearly. But I keep hoping I'll work with Dakota one day, just because I so I can remind her about like 1998 or whatever <laughs> it was in near Tampa, Florida. She did a Tide commercial. <laughs> that's that's how I know her. Oh, knew her, I should say. <clears throat> I haven't seen her since then. Were but, you doing camera or art no, department? No, I was time? a I was a PA. You were a PA. I was a PA, and <clears throat> it was a long job. It was like a I'm trying to remember eight eight or ten day shoot or something, and so it was her and her mother, and then they hired a backup girl and her mother, and they basically put me at the same hotel with them. I had to drive them around. <laughs> I had the van. I had to go to dinner with them. I was like their chaperone, you know? Right. And then while on set, I was like a set PA. Right. But all that came first, and then, you know, and you just get to know right. them, you know? And, and for example, the other, the other girl, the backup girl's mother was a nightmare to deal with. Um, didn't show up. Some I just did, did all kinds of weird stuff. I felt bad for the girl, but but Dakota's mom was exactly where she needed to be at all times, you know, including offset and out of the way or right, right there next wherever she needed to be, she was without asking. And then they were just so sweet to me, like when I drove them to the airport and she gave me money. She's like, I don't know you. I know you don't make very much money, and you've taken such good care of us. Take this. that's awesome. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. I can't. She gave me twenty or forty right. bucks or something, which was because I got their bags for them. You know what I mean? Like because I was twenty whatever years right. old. Then, exactly. You know. But um. Anyway, I just I'll never forget how sweet they were. And and one of the days I got made fun of it for years because Dakota would say, "Yeah, sorry about that little crackle. I think there's a little. It's fine. No worries." Um. 
noises in our heads. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, there's a lot of them in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Just competing for more attention. <laughs> yeah. I'm just letting you know that I heard that one. Okay, good. It's, so it's not just in my head. Right. Yeah, it's okay, not great. just the schizophrenia. <laughs> okay. Um, no, anyway, I just, it's it stuck with me that they were so sweet, but she was, she would sit on set and go, Brad, Dakota. She was like six years old, but she was so whip smart. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. It's she just messed it's with me. It's crazy when you work with a child actor mm-hmm. <clears throat> that you're sitting there and going, there's no way this person's six years old. Right. They're wise beyond their years, yeah. and that's what makes them good at being child actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of spooky sometimes. A lot of them get very, very overcoached, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know how to say a line a different way. Right. Those aren't really the good ones, but at least they're, they do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. The really good ones are the ones that can, like... Oh, you want me to do it that way? Fine. Boom. Right. Exactly. And right. then do it. And then you're like, oh, they're good. Yeah. They've, they've got it together. Because on set, it's never exactly the way that you did it in the audition. Right. You know, for an actor. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, I thought that movie was good. It's a great, it's a better idea for a movie. I, I don't know. What would you think of it? I mean, I'm, I am not a, a, a horror, you know. A, neither a am horror I. fan. Neither am I. Um, you or just the, work the psychological on all the bloody shows. Yeah, I just work on all the bloody shows <laughs> and, and kind of identify with Dexter. Um, but you know, I I saw it and I thought I thought it was a a, a nicely a, a well done story mm-hmm. um, and well told. It's just the other problem is just the pacing of Nick's movies are just very slow. You know, almost Kubrickian in pacing and mm-hmm. and it's like which can be great, which can be great, except if you're like, okay, just get on with it. I'm trying to see what my shots were in the movie. <laughs> right? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I still haven't watched his other movie, um, with Gosling. Uh, uh, driven? No, 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 not driven. Uh, there's Drive. Drive. And there's drive. there's the the Hollywood. I mean the uh, Hong Kong one. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Or is it Hong Kong or is it Bangkok? I think it's Bangkok. Shoot, I can't remember the name. I haven't. Wa- I still haven't watched it. It's been mm. on Netflix for a while. Um, I, to be honest, I've heard it's not good, <laughs> but from a bunch of people. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, one man's trash. You know, and exactly. I often like movies that other people don't. Sometimes you 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 just get a weird yep. connection to yep. to a film. I try not to listen too much to what other people say. I'm I'm the same way. You know, I want to make my own opinion. Um, yeah, you know, because I'm gonna like I'm gonna like or dislike something for whatever my own reasons are, and you know I'm perfectly okay if a whole bunch of people like the movie and I don't like it. It's like okay, great. Yeah, you know, you found something that speaks to you. I'm I'm perfectly good with that. Yeah, I I because God knows I've made enough of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree. It happens all the time. It's yeah. like you go, you know, bunch of people love it. Shoot, I saw um. Oh my goodness! The same year as um, um, it was Terry Malick's movie that won the um, it was a Saving Private Ryan type movie. Everybody thought it was. Oh um, wow, we're idiots right now. Yeah, I can't believe I, I can't. Exactly I can't believe what, I'm forgetting I exactly it. It's such a brilliant. Is. It's film. a brilliant, brilliant movie. Uh, Jim Caviezel stars. Jim Caviezel stars in it. John Tull shot it. Nick Nolte's yeah. in it. Travolta's in it. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I saw that. Hey, stop, stop hitting the microphone. <laughs> 
going to make you buy, just like, buy really a new one. The microphone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was so brilliant. And, um, and I saw it with 10 friends. Mm-hmm. I was in college at the time. I was mm-hmm. like in between. And my friend Laura and I looked at each other at the end of it. And we were like, holy shit. And my buddy to my right, Steve, was like, what a piece of crap. <laughs> And all the and two of us out of ten liked it, right? You know, eight eight of them were like, "What a the thin red line, Jesus. thin red line." There you go. Because um, I, I knew red was in it, I was like, "I know, me the too." Red mist? No, no. <laughs> what is it? But but so, you know, and Tall's work is amazing, right? It? it is, and but some of it is where you, where you, some of it is just who you are as a human being, whether you're going to like it or not. But other parts are like where you are in a certain headspace, exactly. Sometimes you see a movie and then you can watch it five years later and go, why did I think that was good? But like when you saw or, it and loved or it. Or why didn't I think that was good? Because, that because my that life too. experiences have changed over the last five that, years. Definitely true. Yep. Definitely true. Or you can relate to something that you never could have related to you know, at that time or whatever. Yeah. As you get older, you start finding movies that... You know better than I that, do. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Um, you know, but, but it's like... You know, I've revisited some of the movies I saw when I was younger, and I thought I thought they were great. And it's like as I'm older, they don't resonate, mm-hmm. and I still appreciate them. But it's like eh, it doesn't. I I understand why I liked it back then, and I understand why it doesn't resonate now. Right. You know. Well, that's why it takes a long time for a movie to be like I won't even say classic, but just something that lasts for a long time. Right. Like, um, you know, I I can still watch National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, I could watch The Thin Red Line. I, yep. There's a lot of movies. Yep. But like certain movies that you think are so great, and then 10 years later, you, you're just like, what? No, garbage. You I know? mean, it's like my, my wife and I are super guilty of this. Like if Hunt for Red October is on, the TV stops there, and then we just keep start saying the lines with the movie. Oh. <laughs> I've got a couple of movies like that. Um, Goodwill Hunting would be Goodwill one. Hunting. Um, Thin Red Line would definitely be yep. one. Um we Were Soldiers. Pop Fiction, Boogie Nights. I've never seen We Were Soldiers. Oh, my God. I hear Pretty it, amazing I movie. Good. Pretty yeah. amazing movie. Yeah. Boogie Nights, I've m- many times seen that it was on and just gone, yep. doesn't matter where you are in it. Yep. It's so good. Yep. It's 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 easier if it's right, at, if it's towards the end. Mm-hmm. I, I can probably switch off. It's too hard to watch the end. Right. Like, you have to get all the good parts exactly. before you can get, like, the before, terrible before Hollywood. Before the terrible Hollywood and, and everybody. Story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the scene behind the convenience store wherever he is. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, um, on that note, let's get another drink. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a break, and okay. we'll, we'll be back in a sec. I'm not looking at your notes. We are, but we are back now. <laughs> I'm trying to look at the we're, notes. We're, we're won't let me look at the notes. We're we're back. Eric's had um. What is that? Your ninth beer? Yeah, something like that. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It'll be all right. There's still beers in the fridge, so you I can't leave until they're gone. You didn't drive. The, you didn't drive the nice car, right? <laughs> no. So you're fine. <laughs> like, like the fact that I I Uber to every city year so that because I, I know what's going to happen. And <laughs> oh, same here, buddy. Same here. Why do you think it, part of the reason the get-togethers are? now where they are is because they're close yeah and all i mean they're close to paramount they're yep. uh, paramount they're not far yep and they're also close to my house <laughs> yeah. and they're your good friends they're my good friends and it's a good spot but you, in the future you need to tell them that i'm arriving so that there's more corona there was plenty of other beer i, I think you were okay 
I was, I, I trust me, I had enough to drink then. Yeah, you didn't need any more Corona. <laughs> I know. Uh, Gemma, Gemma told me, she's like, Brad, he drank every Corona we had. I'm like, well, who else is drinking Corona? She's like, no one. <laughs> <laughs> they, I remember at they one probably point. I remember at one more. point. They, no, they were going around and lifting up all the benches. Oh yeah, they the yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're lifting up all the benches looking for more Corona because I drank <laughs> them out of it. That's so funny. Uh, I did tip well though. She said you tipped well. Yeah. We had an issue with another person whose name shall, for now, remain anonymous. Oh, um, we'll have to talk about that afterwards. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you who it was, but they're not from the U.S. Oh, they were visiting. Oh. I know who it is. Yeah, you know who it was, probably. (laughs) Well, no, I don't know that you do, actually. But anyway, regardless. They have a company in England. I don't know. I'm not sure who you're talking about. But but regardless of of that, your tip made up for their tip. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) See, there I am. International goodwill. It kind of all worked out. International goodwill. (laughs) But um uh yeah um I was gonna ask you 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 um you started in St Louis yep right yep and were you doing steady cam in St Louis or you were just I was um actually, you started is, as a PA is, though too right well or um, something yeah I started as a PA when I was sixteen and then I was uh, pulling focus at eighteen um and actually I I get to one up Charles Papert I actually get to wear Ted Churchill's rig. Which, Oh, Papert, really? Papert's never gotten to wear Ted's rig. Oh. So, um, <laughs> I think I was 14 or 15 when I first uh, first met Ted. My dad and Ted were friends. Really? Yeah. That's and, weird. Uh, yeah. And well, my dad my dad's a still photographer. He's oh, retired okay. now and did well, a lot of uh, did a lot of political campaigns and and was like uh, uh, when Hubert Humphrey was running for president, he was Hubert Humphrey's personal photographer and he was. Uh, what a campaign that Humphrey! Yeah, yeah. well, he was also uh, <laughs> he was also Bobby Kennedy's photographer. Was he really? Yeah, and shot all of Bobby's uh, political spots. Oh, so, his okay. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say he wasn't in L.A. with him. No, uh, actually, no, he was. He was at the ambassador. He he shot those photos. He didn't shoot those photos. He wasn't in the room at the time, but oh, he was. Okay. he was here on that one. I mean, there was a whole press unit yeah, there. With exactly. Him, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what my dad did for the longest time was shoot uh, political commercials and uh, and all well, the stills for him. So, huh. um, so I I kind of followed. I I shot I've shot over four thousand political spots with me DPing him. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Back in St. Louis. Uh, mostly in St. Louis. Most well, mostly when I was living in St. Louis. Uh, up and I've really haven't shot any spots since about two thousand and eight. Mm. But uh, last last major campaign I worked on was 2002. Mm. Um, but done done a lot of spots. Got got some good people elected, some bad people elected. You know, <laughs> would do I both mean, side, would do both sides of the race in certain markets. I mean, look, it's a little more on the nose, but it's 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 all advertising. Exactly. It's like you're going to shoot is. a commercial for for um, for beer yeah. or for um, or for who knows what suntan lotion or mountain dew or whatever the hell it might be it's like you're all just sell you're selling someone right and you just kind of turn off what the you know what's being sold and you just do the job sure um you know but and like when i say you know we shoot four thousand i've shot like over four thousand i mean it's like we shoot 12 in a day you know you'd have right you'd have an hour to shoot a spot you do like most of their campaign at one time 
Yeah, it's generally most campaigns um, or regional or something. Or yeah, most campaigns basically you shoot between four and six times during a race. Wow! Um, because you shoot the initial spots, and then as the race starts getting closer and everything okay, you're, yeah, yeah, it's uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just no, no, no. Uh, and as you as the election would get closer, you start shooting spots that are, are response spots or whatever the candidates queuing high or queuing low on so you would start right, refining right. you start gotcha. refining it so uh, i mean i've done stuff where we've shot spots uh four days before the election to be turned so that there's three days of run mm-hmm. on the spot and this is you know most of that stuff is also shot on film yeah because you know because one of the interesting things is is we're you and i are the generation that we've shot film and we've done the transition to hd and now we're shooting hd and it's kind of an, an interesting place. We've we've well, look, seen a lot, of, seen a lot of, of our, good and bad. Uh, the vast majority of our peers are there. I mean, look at the people I've had on the show. There are yeah. only a few, and even the ones who barely have. Yeah. I think maybe no. I'm trying to think of everybody who's been on. They've all shot film, right? At some point or another, some more than others, whatever, but, right? But um, yeah, it's a weird and yeah, and you know, and we we all have you know shared the same experience of we've all probably shot with an F nine hundred. We've all probably shot with a Viper, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and actually, I've never used the Viper ever. You were lucky. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was another screaming pile of garbage. Was it? Yeah, some yeah. people loved it. It always looked super green to me. Uh, well, its raw footage was very green. It's, it had a really aggressive green channel. Yeah, uh, that's the way they were getting their their. At that time, They're eight stops light. of latitude, right, which right, was right. the big thing in, in HD. Right. And I'm going, well, why are we leaving film if all we're getting in Yeah, right? exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, the best was when they were introducing the Viper, and you know, there's like 300 DPs at NEB, and you know, they because the Viper was initially designed to shoot to this giant tower called the Director's Friend that would have a monitor there, and they could do on-set grading, and you know, it was the solution, and you know, you'd be done, you'd export it, and it was color-corrected and done, and but it only held like you know two hours of footage, and, right? And I said, okay, you know, you're, I raised my hand and they they point at me. And I said, okay, you're on location and you fill up the director's friend. What do you do? You know, so you can shoot more the next day. And the guy looks at me and goes, well, that is what the aerial laser is for. I said, what? He goes, well, you would transfer all your Viper footage to film using the area film. <laughs> so you have an area laser there. Yeah, so you, you have an area laser there, so and you can print it. And your video footage yeah, onto film. Exactly. And and I and I go, <sighs> well, why don't I just skip the the part of shooting on the Viper and shoot on film? And his answer was, that is a choice. <laughs> and the entire booth emptied, <laughs> and people were walking over to me. Congratulations, you've just killed the Viper. <laughs> Well, you didn't kill it because Michael Mann went for it I know. pretty hard. Yeah. I think he was yeah. kind of the only one. He was the only one. I, I remember getting phone calls. He's from, a big one, though. Yeah, I remember getting phone I mean, calls. That, from, that probably paid off their investment. Yeah, him using it. Yeah. I remember getting phone calls from Chris Harhoff going, "I've got the Viper. I don't understand how to use it on my rig. What do I need to make it work?" Oh God! <laughs> yeah, here's what you need, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, some bad ideas in production. But yeah, no, I uh, uh, grew up in St. Louis and um, did a lot of work there. Did a lot of the big commercials that came into town. Um, shot for shot pretty much all the uh, image spots for the CBS affiliate for a period of like four years, five years. Oh, I did those some yeah. of those once for like ABC in Orlando a long time. Yeah, ago. you know, it'd be the it'd be the anchor stand-ups in the studio, and uh-huh. then you you know, then you follow 
then then we'd have a, a reporter going and doing a story, but there was no story. It's just, you know, yeah, exactly. Too. And the funny thing is, I'm actually in several of the spots. So so, yeah, yeah, that's um, funny. But yeah, what size um, market is St. Louis? St. Louis, when I was there, I think it was twelve or no sixteen. Oh, okay. 16, so fairly big market. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, I'm just trying to compare it because I've never been to St. Louis. Yeah. So Orlando, when I was 20 years ago, was like a 21. I bet it's probably higher now. Yeah. It's probably 15 or something. I, I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, I think St. St. Louis was either 12 or 16. Those are numbers I remember. Yeah. Um, but it, we shot some good stuff. And then I also I did a ton of the... The special projects there where, you know, it would be like the documentary and uh, you know, this type of stuff. So right. um, a lot of those are, you know, you're, you're going out and you're one man banding with a director. And so kind of kind of forcing you to start thinking about what you're shooting. And yeah. That's kind of where I got my education. I never went to film school for this. The plan always was I was going to be an aeronautical engineer. And then I figured out there's a lot of math involved and that's not good. So yeah, <laughs> time to move on. A lot of math. A lot of math. And. You know, I shot news for a while, mm-hmm. and so I I know what you're talking about. I mean, I've done interviews. People can't see what I'm doing, but holding the camera and holding a yep. mic out, you know, yep. um, many times. Um, and I loved it. I, they gave me so much freedom. Yep. I was a 20-year-old kid when they hired yep. me. I had an internship. And they gave me so much freedom. They gave me a car yep. and an $80,000 like, camera. Yep. And they're like, go out and get a story. Well, they didn't do that, but they called and said, "Hey, there's a crash on." <laughs> right. I mean, or I'd be in the station and they'd say three car pile up, or I'd hear the. Yeah, but that's still going out and getting the story and telling the story. It is. It is. It is. I mean, they. Okay, the way it sounded when you said it was like go out and find a story. Yeah. There was a story there, and they'd send me to it. Yeah. Right. Um, I've said this before: more, more dead bodies than I ever need to see in my entire life, and I'll never forget a bunch of them. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure you saw a bunch of the same. Well, I did. A <laughs> or were you doing? You were doing documentary stuff. I was so doing more documentaries, but I also did. Um, I did two seasons of a show called Real Stories of the Highway Patrol, which was kind of a ripoff of Cops. Mm-hmm. And their difference was is in every episode they had a reenactment. And I shot uh, a bunch of those reenactments, but um, I rode. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. And really looking back at it, it's like you really need to question what you're doing when you get a FedEx and it's a bulletproof vest. <laughs> so, like, what suit coat tie- size do you wear? I'm like, I don't wear suit coats. I wear shorts and shirts. Yeah. No, 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 what, what suit coats do you wear? This is my suit coat size. Large? Then, I don't you know. know. <laughs> Extra two, large? Two days later comes a second chance uh, Kevlar vest. And it's like, what did I just say yes to? Yeah. And um, it was when the city of East St. Louis, Illinois, had such a corrupt local government that the Illinois State Police had to take over policing the city, which at that time had the highest murder rate per capita in the United States. Right. It's of, always been a rough town. Yeah. Huh? Of like... How was, far is that from St. Louis? Just across the river. Just on the other side yeah. of the river into yeah. Illinois? Just across the river. Okay. And, you know, you'd see cars full of certain people. And I was like, okay, they're only here for two, for one of three reasons. They're they're looking for hookers, they're looking for drugs, or they're hopelessly lost. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you go and pull them over. And so you drove around there with these guys? I rode with, with, uh, with a couple of different state troopers. And it was really funny because the first state trooper I rode with, my mother's cousin was his training officer. 
So my mother's cousin was a state trooper. And this uh, this trooper, uh, Charles Coates, he, uh, his training officer was my mother's cousin. So we're sitting there, we're talking, and he brings up being in training. And he, and he says, my cousin's, my second cousin or whatever that is, says his name. And I looked at him and went, you know, that's my cousin. He's like, no way. What? And it was really cool because hmm. at that point, I got a lot more access. <laughs> it was mm. like, oh, oh, these guys are good. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, bad situations and be like, you know, they they get you out of the car sooner or, or they'd reach over and unlock the shotgun and go, just don't shoot the Smokey the Bear hat. Mm. <laughs> go walk into the situation. Really? Yeah, because we had keys to the car and they just wanted it unlocked in case, you know, in case it got bad. So that was that was like two years of my life. You did that for two years? Two years, running around four nights a week Wow! with the police in East St. Louis. And I was, like, college age at the time. Yeah. It was a great job. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It's super fun when you're – because I did, again, similar – I mean, I've watched – it's super morbid. But I've watched, like, paramedics and cops taking bets on where the suicidal guy on the tower, where he'll hit – I found the decapitated head one night. Oh, yeah, because it was right where the really good angle of the helicopter landing was. And I put the camera down, and there was something a little odd next to the camera. And I called everybody, and as they referred to it, that's where the basketball was. Uh, yeah, wow. stem up. Oh, so so you know, and then going and shooting Gross. Dexter and stuff like that, where they're dismembered bodies, is like, oh, that doesn't even look like the real thing, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so I'm sure you saw a lot of like yeah. stuff that yeah. you didn't really want to see. Yeah. But it's an experience, and it, it gives no, you a glimpse I mean, of how the real world is. It's for, a really interesting you know. experience, and it gives you a different perspective on what police officers do every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was at a different time in the world, too. So That's true. Yeah. When was that for you, the 80s? That was like, yeah, that was 88, 89, I think. Okay. You've got a couple of years on me. Mine was 90. <laughs> Keep reminding me of that, Brad. What? <laughs> I said that in the nicest way I could no, say I, it. And my wife likes to keep going, you know, because you know, her birthday's not until September and mine's in May. And she's like, yeah, you're older than me. Right. <laughs> Six months, darling. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, I mean, I could get really rude, you know, but I won't. I won't. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I was 96 in, in, you know, in Roanoke, Virginia. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and you think ironic, you're like, ah, a little small town, whatever. And it's a couple hundred thousand right. metro. So it's not big, but man, they still have, uh, they still have an alley where dudes will shoot at each other. You know what I mean? Like they, doesn't matter where you are, yeah. you know, there's, but, um, there's bad people everywhere and, and oh, for sure. and there's, you know, people trying to keep you from bad people. So. You, know, you get rid of them, yeah. somebody will fill their place exactly. pretty quickly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I have a I have a heavy respect for police officers and, and first responders and stuff because of what I've seen and what they have to deal with. Well they're the but, guys they're but, the guys running towards the problem. You're right. No, exactly right. But I also because of the respect I have for all those that do it so well, I have the same amount of I don't know if the word's hatred, but but um, uh, unsettledness about the guys who go bad. I agree. Uh, you I know, agree. I expect and, more and out of them because right. I've seen it so many times. And, you well, know, like I you mean, have. the whole thing is, is our trust has been in place, has been placed upon them, and 
you know, it's just not right when they, right, right, when they when they when they use it, right. And the and and we're getting a little political. I don't yeah. mean to be that way, but like <clears throat> the people that argue, um, well, you don't understand what they go. No, I do. And they it doesn't put give them, them a free pass. R- exactly right. And we've put them in this position yeah. as a as a as a person of authority, and they have a lot of training. Their job is to not go bananas right. when the shit hits the fan. Right. You know, so respect to like ninety nine point nine percent of them who don't yeah, exactly who do their job right on and all that. And you know, fuck you to the guys who who screw around and don't I totally do it right. agree. I totally and agree. I think I think most cops would agree with me. <laughs> I, I I think that most do, and and, and they don't I'm want always, bad cops running no, around. No, they don't want bad cops. No. And, and every time I've had a conversation with a set cop, you know, yeah, they're the same way. You yep. know, and it's and and I make sure to thank those guys because yeah. when they're not when they're not making sure that we don't cross the street when we're not supposed to and get hit by a car, they're out you know catching bad guys and, and mm-hmm. putting their life on the line. And well, a lot of those guys are retired. Yeah, uh, and but they yeah, did. But they did thirty years of it. But you get somewhere in some other market. Yeah, yeah. and it's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, you know yeah. they start pulling in the duty guys and yeah. and those sure. are the guys I definitely want to make sure that I'm going you know hey thanks for sure thanks for. You know, taking care of us. Oh, absolutely. Well, they're all good. They're all cool. You know, oh, yeah. they're all cool. Totally cool. Um, but um, and I love the motorcycle cops who drive around. I don't know if I ever t- told this. I, a motorcycle cop chasing, chasing a, a, a race car mm-hmm. on I four on the freeway through Orlando. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. The race car's going between it was a Le Mans car the mm-hmm. Cadillac Le Mans car okay. and the the cop is laying I know you're in a car this is why I'm yep. telling you the cop is laying on the motorcycle floored yep he's going 118 or something that's his mm-hmm. cap and the car's in second going wah, wah, yep. wah. and they're in my rearview mirror yep. they're coming behind me it was yep. all, it was so cool so much fun so cool they had to go two exits down because the the exit we got on was a little too steep so mm-hmm. that thing would have right yeah it would, it would kill the front splitter yeah yeah so yeah. i asked the one of the techs or engineers or whatever you call them after after we did all that i'm like how fast did he go he's like uh, I think he told me he never got out of second. Yeah, he's like he only went one one forty. I'm like what what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to accelerate something that, that fast, uh, you know, when it only weighs eleven hundred pounds and it has eight hundred horsepower. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even it wasn't even the acceleration. It was just him uh, like toying like, with the and it, they had him. It's a real driver. He's just dressed in like a suit with sunglasses right. on. It's great. It was yeah. so cool. And later we shot him pulling into a driveway mm-hmm. in that car, mm-hmm. getting out. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, we got we got like a little sidetracked with our news with our news talk. <laughs> but was your first Steadicam job in St. Louis or was it? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I'd done stuff for for the the CBS affiliate and things like that. And then what was it? Ninety two. I went to I went to Maine to do the Steadicam thing in '87. Okay, and uh, it's is that really, where is that Ted? Well, Ted was supposed to be there, but it, it wasn't. Ted wasn't there that time. It was uh, it was Garrett. It was John Kassar. It was Tosmikos. It was Jimmy Miro, um, and I forget who the other instructor was. But the funny thing was, is Jerry Holloway was in the same class as me as a student. Oh, really? Yeah. How funny. Um, so, but uh, that was. 87 and I had already been doing a little bit of study cam in 86 because mm. like I said I met Ted I was 
14 or 15 when I met Ted. So that would have been 79 or 80 that I met Ted. Um, got to put on his rig, go running up and down the halls of the uh, Holiday Inn Lakeshore Drive. Um, and then went down and had dinner with him and talked about filmmaking. And He uh, invited us on set the next day, which was really cool, getting to watch him do a commercial. And uh, kind of knew that that's kind of what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and uh, so didn't even study him until 80, 85 or 86, I got a Model 1. Mm. And... You know, that had an inch and a half green screen on it. That was the monitor. Mm -hmm. Model 1 had an inch and a half, and it was fixed, and it was built into the base, and there really wasn't a way to put it in low mode, but I built a set of brackets that could flip the whole thing around, and now the monitor's way up on top, and the camera's down there. And and, uh, so I had a 1, and then I went to a 2, and the 2 had a a 2.5-inch screen huge upgrade that whole inch was amazing i'm sure it was and uh when i went to school in 87 i had the two and uh was doing you know little tiny stuff in st louis and Mm -hmm. just trying to learn it and trying to figure out what i'm going to do right and uh let's see in 88 or 89 was i think my first production and it was a, a movie of the week, and uh, they brought in a Panaglide for that one. Mm. So I used my arm with the Panaglide sled and fell in love with the concept of no cables, a single center post, one 12, 24-volt battery. Um, it was like, man, we need to have something like that. Wow, you're, the f- you're almost saying the Panaglide was better than Steadicam. <laughs> the sled was actually pretty nice. The uh, arm was horrific. The suit was god-awful. Yeah, um, if you yeah, put, I've heard the vest was just torture. The vest was beyond torture. But if you, and at this time the three A, the three had come out, and if you put a Model Three gimbal on the Panaglide, it actually turned into a half decent rig because mm-hmm. the gimbal was also pretty pretty janky. Mm-hmm. Um, but there and was the arm was like compressed gas, right? Yeah, it was it was God. it was gas struts, so it had this big stiction, so it would like you get it to move, and then you would stop it and kind of go stick. And then right. it wouldn't move, and then you kind of break it over and get it to move again. Right, 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 right. So you know, basically, it was the same thing as you know, closing your hatch on a car, yeah, or the right. hood with a with a gas cylinder, right. So, um, and then the other really cool thing about it was is the Panavision Lightweight was only able to go on that because you didn't have really a mounting plate. The top stage screwed into the Panaglide, and you had an XY into it. There was. It was a total system where it only could work together. Mm. And it was the first rig that you could go side to side up top. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the 3A when we got the, you know, they did the the geared battery section. Because for the longest time, we balanced side to side on the battery on the, on the bottom. And you could move the side to side there. And then they figured out how to put this weird sandwich plate in that never really worked well to get side to side on the 3A. And the nice thing was the 3A had a three and a half inch screen, so it was like really getting into the big screen. Mm-hmm. The Panaglide had a five inch black and white monitor with a big old notch filter in it, and it still never was bright enough in the daylight. Right. But you could get it to work, and I did some okay work on the movie with it. You know, why didn't they? Why didn't they make it a green screen? Um, because I think they figured that would be too close to infringing on the patent. 
Because they already knew they were infringing on the patent. I mean, you know, the the whole story about Ed DiGuglio saying, well, I saw it on a bicycle delivering Chinese food when I was in Asia. You know, because the arm, supposedly, he had seen that, you know, yeah. keep, you know, Chinese food from falling off of a delivery bicycle. I don't know. Uh, is that the story? That's the story. Oh, yeah. I never heard that one before. Yeah. But the, the glide sled, it had some advantages. And, you know, and that's kind of what the pro became was... Let's make the glide sled work into something decent. Right. You know, the original Pro 1. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and the original Pro 1 didn't have a gimbal. You had to have a 3A gimbal. Yeah. Because the gimbal was the key to the patent at the time. Right. They built everything you could build besides right. the, the patented right. part. And right. CP at that, that time referred to it as shopping in the valley. You know, and they were against anybody that shopped in the valley. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they sent a bunch of us out a letter that said, you know, if you don't own a, cin- a cinema products rig, you can't call yourself a steady cam operator. We will sue you into oblivion if you call yourself a steady cam operator. I remember that was the beginning of like pro operator, right? Uh-huh. Or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a lot of us that were just like pound sand. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Well, especially CP. Like they went out of business in what, 2000? Mm. Or they got bought by Tiffin, whatever. Well, they were going back. Yeah, they were. Well,. They were under bankruptcy. Tegulio had sold to, sold to Ron Lenny, and then Ron Lenny kind of ran it in the ground, and yeah, it was a whole mess. I just remember, I remember seeing the the prototype master sled when they were trying to sell it to me, and we're in the, I'm over at CP, and they're doing the whole demo, and uh-huh. and you know, it had a it had a, a five and a half inch sixteen by nine monitor on it, which you know, no rig at that point had had that TB six hadn't been built yet, mm-hmm. no rig had a monitor this big. And, I have two of them in in here. If you want to see one. Oh really? Yeah. But two TV sixes. No, I have one TV six and two master monitors. Oh wow. Well, I, I know you. I know you have a master. So, you know. But uh, well, no, I have a pro. My master's right. just sitting over there. If anybody <laughs> wants to buy a master sled, I I have everything. All the accessories. The, the accessories are worth five grand. Like. Yeah. You know. And, and um, anyway. So you can sell it for like five thousand and one dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt but, it. But I remember, I remember being in the meeting and they're showing me the monitor, and the guy who's selling it goes, "We bought the last three hundred of these tubes from from uh, uh, Thompson in France, and this is all the tube. There's no more of these tubes." And I look at him and go, "What happens when you sell rig number two ninety nine and my rig's monitor breaks?" And he looks at me and goes, "Have you seen the fuel gauge on the battery?" <laughs> He's like, we're not even addressing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, wait a minute. In your sales pitch, you tell me you've bought all the monitors there are. That's a pretty bad sales <laughs> yeah, pitch. That's a pretty bad sales they, pitch. They obviously found more because they sold more than three. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's just you just had to have it manufactured. I mean, that's what Greg did with the TB6 was. You know, Somebody he, made a tube. Yeah, he had right. he had shot blow a blow a bottle for him that he can he could have it then turned into a monitor. I mean that was the beauty of the TB6 was you know it was totally built from the ground up to be a steady cam monitor. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first deal. I mean, I, God, we couldn't believe the deal we were getting. It was the first fifty monitors that he sold. He sold for five thousand dollars a monitor, and then after that, price jumped to fifteen grand. Right. Because he was just trying to get the production run started. It was essentially. It was like a GoFundMe of yeah back then yeah back in the day. It was and, like and, the first fifty people get a deal. Yeah, I had, I had uh, serial number thirty. It was my monitor. Right. You know, and I, I remember getting it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, 
I wonder this what serial number I have. I should look at it. I haven't looked. Yeah. It's on the color bar page. From that for is so that it's, where it yeah, is? Yeah, it's on page three. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um you have to check. Do you still fly a green screen or no. your color only? No, I do you even own a green screen? Do not own a green screen. Um <laughs> and funny story, we're we're doing True Blood and Simon Jays and I are doing the show and you know, we're trying to get uh that who will be remain nameless to design the uh Cinetronic monitor. And uh, we get the. F- oh, I don't know that person's yeah. name anyway. We get, so we get the really first care. prototype of it, and and Simon and I are running around outside, and it was it was a perfect day. It was a it was a high overcast day, but still with a lot of sunlight. So you mm-hmm. know, it's that it's that worst case day. You know, that giant silk over the sky, but the, you can still see the sun through it. And we're like sitting there, trying to blind each other, trying to bounce the sun into each other's eyes and seeing if we see the the image, and we did. And so we both decided that that moment well we're off, gonna, of, off of what monitor the original cinetronic one. Oh, and uh oh and you could still see the image you can still see the image i was like oh my god this is you know and it's in color really yeah huh. and uh so finally a color monitor yeah. works huh? so uh so we go back in stage and you know we do another week playing with them and you know we have them each on our sleds and this is uh at one point true blood carried two a camera steady cam operators full time because they do so much second unit work, uh-huh. so much double days. It was just it made sense to have two guys that are there all the time being the A camera steady cam operators on the double up units, and then we'll bring in B camera day players. So we're just sitting there, we're working our butts off. Oh, so one of you would do so one, you'd do B or yeah. Whatever. I always had I always had Romeo's unit. He always had. Uh, yeah, yeah, but on um, the days had Matt's unit. yeah, but on the days you're on the same unit, you well, the days you're on the same unit, I do I'd do B camera. Right, okay. Yeah. Right, so, right, gotcha. you know, it all worked out. So there was a continuity there with all the actors. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. And uh, so we're, we're playing with it. And finally, about two weeks into this, Simon and I are like, yeah, I think, we're, I think I'm going to sell. We're both like, I think I'm going to sell green screens. I'm just going to use this LCD. All right. So we, uh, so I go, okay, why don't you sell your green screen first? You know? And he's dragging his feet, dragging his feet, dragging his feet. And finally, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my green screen up for sale. I put my green screen up for sale, and the Steadicam board went insane going, wait a minute, Eric's not using a green screen anymore. He's mm-hmm. using an LCD. And the price of a used green screen went from ten grand to four grand overnight. And Simon comes up to me two days later and goes, I just tried to sell my monitor, and I was going to sell it for nine grand. And now I find out nobody was gonna, nobody will sell it, or nobody will buy a monitor for more than four grand. <laughs> it's like I told you, sell yours first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I bought mine for quite a bit less than that. I, and now you can get them for super cheap. Yeah, yeah. and it's a great, brilliant it's a monitor. monitor. I don't, <clears throat> I don't need to see color that much. It it helps. I like the the wider aspect. You know, I, I like the bigger screen. Um, That's nice. I mean, but I've if you're doing enough HD shows, I mean, thing was is, is if I was still doing a film show, show, right? Show but now. everything now is an HD show, so I'd rather just see it in an HD monitor. You know, I mean, yeah. the green screen. I mean, the TV6 was bombproof. I I drowned the crap out of it doing the thing I did with David Boyd up in Salt Lake City. We did a scene where the fire sprinklers go off in a building and they were pouring like three thousand gallons a minute through through sprinklers. Uh huh. And uh, and you didn't have it covered? No, I had it covered. Margar- oh. Marguerite and I were running around. But, I mean, literally, at the end of the take, there'd be three inches of standing water on the floor. Right, right, right. And at the beginning of the take, right. it'd be dry. Yeah. yeah I and you. on the third take, uh, like five steps into the move, 
the monitor just goes, just shuts down. Mm-mm. And I finished the shot with no monitor, you know, and had a whip pan in it and pushing the marguerite and everything. And, you know, I just kind of transitioned to operating over the mag and looking at where the camera was. And, and uh, they saw the whole image the whole time because the transmitters didn't go down. And yeah. They're like, all right, great, moving on. I'm like, can we just play that back? Because I didn't see it from the beginning of the shot. And they're yeah. like, maybe you should work out without a monitor more often. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, guys. But, uh, that like, happened to me once with an yeah. F900 that blew a fuse. Yeah. But my, uh, my assistant took the monitor off the rig, and he goes to, and he takes the four screws off the top and pours a half a cup of water out of the monitor because there was so much humidity in the air that everything condensed. And we sent it off to Greg, and you know, four days later, monitor comes back. It's like, yeah, there was, I don't know why you sent it to me. It was perfectly fine. It just had to dry. It just had to dry. So if you would taken a hair, a hair dryer to yeah. it, it would have been all right. Yeah. That's funny. I've done that to a camera on a show. Dolly grip didn't didn't boom down and pulled the camera through a water sag on a on an easy up. <laughs> oh no way, really? Yep. And just as and it, it popped. No, it didn't pop. It's as he pulls it out, the sag just poured right into oh. the tape door of his F nine hundred. Oh. <laughs> it was like oh. And you're like, well, an F nine hundred. Yeah, it's it's F900. better it's like, off this way. Yes, another dead camera. <laughs> better <laughs> off this way. One less nine hundred in the world. So much happier. One less Sony Valdez. They made like eighty four thousand of them. Oh yeah, I mentioned that with Brooks, the yeah. Sony Valdez. Yeah. How how long was it? Uh, the one I flew on Family Affair was forty four inches. Forty four. That's inches. four inches short of four feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. We would we would have a dire- the director would always be like, so. You know, you'll come in, French will come out of the kitchen, you'll push forward, and then you'll rotate around everybody in the front hallway and you know, and just stand there and just start shaking my head. And they'd be like, well, why not? And it got tiresome to explain it, so we would just park the camera across the other end of the hallway on the stand, and they could see that it just damn near touched the walls of the hall. And I'd be like, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was such a horrible camera. What was it? It, it, it panifies F900. Were you flying a battery? Uh, well, on Family Affair, I was flying the Copperhead, uh, the Telecast Copperhead box, which was the first fiber box. So, which, which I never had to fly. So, happily. well, it added another problem. I'm seeing a down converted image because uh-huh. you got to get from HD to standard definition to get on the monitor. Uh-huh. So, I'm looking at an image that has six frames of delay. So that's almost a quarter of a second delay. And I had a DP that is seeing the HDSDI image, like, real time. He's not seeing the delay. And he had a radio microforce on the camera because he would zoom the oh. shot all the time. So I'd have to get to the point that I could, like, listen for the zoom motor starting to whir. And if I heard it whirring, I would just start tilting down slowly oh, yeah. to keep the framing right. And That's funny. It was such a pain in the butt. And then we still use that camera for... I was going to season on. Well, you used it season one in Dexter, and I yeah. used it season two in Dexter. Yeah. We didn't switch to the F twenty three, another piece of garbage camera, until season three of Dexter. Did the horrible. whole rest of the show go F twenty three? No, it was F twenty three until season seven, and then when, that's when Jeff Jer came on, and we went Alexa? Alexa. Oh, yeah. yeah, finally we went Alexa, and then we used Nikon D eight hundreds as you know GoPros, mm-hmm. and it was great. We'd you know. 
Deb gets a beer out of the refrigerator, put the D800 in the refrigerator. And they'd open the door, boom, she'd grab it, yeah. close the door, they'd have an insert shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great, too, because that's another setup on the on the setup count list. Sure. You know? Sure. I mean, you can drop one in a corner everywhere you go. And yeah. Oh, there's there's shots of, of Deb sitting on her couch, and the there's always cushions next to Deb, because the cushion's covering it. And right. A D800 shooting a profile. Right. Yeah. Some up profile. Yeah, because, you know, that was one of the things in Dexter's. We had a lot of wacky angles. So. Right, right, right. So it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny. You know, and Jeff was a sport about it. He was like, yeah, bring out a D-Hunter. Do this, do that. Was the F-23, did that have a deck on it? It the could have one, the right? deck, but or you didn't have to have the deck. Um, and the, the, there was a problem with that camera was is you could put the deck on and think that the deck's connected, and it wasn't totally connected, and it would just record this pink frame. <laughs> that's and that's so gonna... so you get a dit that doesn't do a gate check, and you know moving on, and then post comes down the next day and goes, so this seed we don't have anything from that. So it's camera. really pink. Yeah, it's just a pink, just a pink frame. Right. Well, it's funny you it's funny you bring that up. Okay, so. I can't remember. It must have been an F thirty five. Basically, the same. Same, camera, right? just a different. The F thirty five was this was a uh, super thirty five sensor. F twenty three was a okay. Was a two thirds inch. Sensor. Okay, so on Criminal Minds, mm-hmm. I I went in. They had the season that season. They had switched over to F thirty fives with the deck on them, mm-hmm. or you run a cable. Right, big heavy camera with a deck on it. Yes. Um, so anyway, it did. It they did try to make it like a film camera right. with a mag, but anyway. Um, so I get a day on Criminal Minds second unit, and the more I learn, the more I find out. Number one is low mode. Um, number two, it's just one shot, right. but essentially up a hill by the million dollar tree. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Um, I think we ran cable. I don't think I flew the deck. Um, but anyway, so <clears throat> long story short, we did the shot. It's an awesome shot. It would have been awesome whoever did it, quite honestly. I think I did a nice job on it, but it was such a beautiful location. There's a kid. It's like a dream sequence. There's a kid dancing up by the tree, mm-hmm. and then I'm coming up the hill, and it's all this super long grass. It's all like nice. two, two and a half right, feet, right, right, three right. feet long, whatever. So just like in front of the lens, and then I push to the kid, you know, and we're on a, I'm on a 21 or something like super wide. Mm -hmm. It's and it's up on the hills. It's beautiful, right? So all the they all loved me. Oh my god, this guy's awesome. Well, yeah, it's easy to be awesome when you're in a. But anyway, it did get me a lot more work on the show. (laughs) But um, and that was my first day. So, and that's oftentimes all that it takes. Yeah, but the dit. I found out later, I came in like a week later on main unit. Mm-hmm. And the dit's like, uh, I'm like, oh, how'd all this stuff work out, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, eventually good. I'm like, what happened? Long story short, what the dit did is he burned his frame lines oh. onto the tape. Oh, onto the program out. Onto the, exactly right. Oh. Which apparently was an easy mistake to make back yeah. then. I, I don't know. But um, but so he burned white frame lines where there's all this like millions of blades of grass flickering. And he somehow, I'm sure they had to pay for it, mm-hmm. but he got some effects house to remove it all. Oh, wow. Instead of a, re- they were going to reshoot. 
Oh, wow. And then he got, I guess he had, I don't know. I don't know yeah. how it all went down. But they, he never worked on the show again. But they, <laughs> but they had to remove the whole mm-hmm, frame line mm-hmm. from like a sunsetty, mm-hmm. no, a sunrisey sky and then mm-hmm. grass. It would, it was like a week's worth of work right. for an effects house. Like right. all of them going at it for a week. Yeah. As they're individually reanimating the grass. Exactly right. Yeah. No, they're, they're totally, um, uh, uh, rotoing. Yeah. Every single frame, and not one little thing, like a million well, blades of grass. And that's kind of the problem of, of, you know, like I said earlier, we we've been in this transition, yeah, where, you know, now we're getting cameras that are actually good, but we had to learn, you know, silly mistakes like, you know, you yeah. could you could feed the recorder frame lines when you really shouldn't be able to feed the recorder frame lines, and that should only go. Why to would a they allow out. you to right. record frame lines? Right, exactly. Right. Right, 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 right. So it's you know it's it's been an interesting mm-hmm. interesting learning experience. You know, one thing that I tell a lot of people that they freak out. You know, the seasons we had the F nine hundred and the F twenty three on Dexter, which you probably got to experience. We were all tethered. Oh yeah, yeah. It, we ran an HDSDI pipe out of the camera. Was we I we did not, that yeah, yes, you were, because we did not run transmitters on that show, because mm. there was no way to do HD transmitters at the time. Yeah, you're. Re- I think that's yeah, sure, right. And yeah. I didn't go. I didn't go transmitted until until we went with the uh, the Alexa. I don't remember. Seven. I was too busy running and sweating. <laughs> <laughs> well, that same director, he on on Dexter. You know, I when you described you know seven a.m. We're sweating our butts off on Long Beach. He's like, "Yep, I've been there." Yeah, yeah. And he goes, he's like, "So you know, part of the scene takes place inside this minivan, you know, and or cargo van. Slide doors slid open, and the back door is up." And he's like, "Eric, could you could you just continue the walk and talk and and walk through the van and come out the other side?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> How am I going to bend over and do that? It would have been so cool if you could have. Though. It would have been cool if I could have, but it's like, no. <laughs> right. Thank you, Tony. No. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for at least asking. That'd be one for the real, though. I mean, who was it that did that long X Files take where they got in the oh. VW? Yeah, I forget who that was. That was a great take. That was a great episode. Great episode. The episode's only four four Steadicam shots. I know. It's and it's really like I'm cool. sitting here watching it going, that is so cool. I'm so glad I'm not doing it. <laughs> I don't know. I think the fun of it. I don't know. Dude, I look at these long shots and I'm like, that is a really cool shot for me not to do. I'm all right with a long shot as long as it, as long as they plan properly for it and that they all know what that involves. Well, as lo- and as long as, as long as you don't get done with the shot and go, okay, now coverage. moving in for coverage. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, why did I just do that? Well, that's happened to me many times. Ob- yeah. I, obviously, I'm excluding that part, but yeah. like, I'm talking about people who... I mean, if the shot works and it has a reason for it, I'm more than happy to do it. And yeah. if it's going to live, I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we've got one that's... It was. It's a, exciting to do that, though, because, you know, when, when you do a longer shot that you know is going to be covered... It's it's very much um, um, the pressure is not as high. Well, we did one because you know they can cut. They're going to yeah. have plenty of stuff to cut to. We but. did one. We did one on Dexter that you know. Uh, one of my favorite directors, John Dahl, was directing the episode, and he just didn't want to cut the scene up. And it's it's a scene between um, uh, Masuka and Quinn, and then it turns into Masuka and Deb, mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because any scene that involved CS was always funny who played Masuka it was always funny 
But the first minute of the scene starts just locked off sitting at a desk. Mm. And then it moves. And the reason we wanted to do it Steadicam was there was this weird, it was a weird rise, move back, back pan, and then turns into a whip. And on paper, it looks like it's a fairly easy shot. And it, and it wasn't. You know, it's one of those that, that looks a lot easier than it was. And at the end of the take, I was like, all right, this is really cool. And if John calls for coverage, I'm going to go back there and kill him. And he was like, moving on. And I was like, okay, perfect. You know, because he was right. a guy who understood it. I mean, John John directed Rounders. So, I mean, yeah, the guy's yeah, got some chops. And, with, and yeah. just one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to work with who's got really good taste. That's a great movie. Yeah. They've been talking about making Rounders, too. No, he's writing the script right now. Well, I remember hearing about it 15 years ago. Oh, I know. So, I know, but no, he's... <laughs> Um, I'll he's take been, your he's word. Been, he's been working on the script. I'll take your word yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, script or no script, they still gotta, they still gotta put the money out and yep. do it. Um, and I, I, the, the idea that Ed Norton and Matt Damon would do it again, I doubt. But you ever you worked to that? No, actually, no, I haven't. I, I have. have. I did a movie. I, I was called to do five days of Steadicam on a twenty-seven day f- feature. And I ended up doing 35 days on the 39-day feature. <laughs> <laughs> what movie? Uh, a rather strange movie called Down in the Valley. Where he dresses like a cowboy. Well, he thinks he's a cowboy. Right. Yeah. And I Evan know, Rachel Wood's in it. And, I know yeah. of it. Did, Evan did Rachel Wood. Directed Bruce too? Dern. He didn't direct Well, they had a director, but, okay. but Ed pretty much directed it. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember my first day I came in, it was a big, long shot through a house it's actually on one of my old reels and and it walks through the whole house and there's a pretty cool pan to the right with a tilt down to find somebody as he's sitting up on a couch it's kind of a blind find and it was like every time i did it i was like oh i just did it i'm happy <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those one of those things and finish a shot and they've got steel deck over a swimming pool so i can get far enough out you know from the back door to do it and finish a shot and i think we did three takes and like okay very good that's a wrap study cam and i walked up to the to the dp i went did i pass your test and he just starts laughing he's like how'd you know it was a test i'm like because it's an insanely difficult shot and you wanted to see if i would a say yes to it and b if i could do it and he goes yeah you'll be back <laughs> that's funny yeah. who was it uh enrique chediak oh okay yeah. gotcha yeah cool another really good dp yeah for sure for sure um Cool, man. Well, look. I'm just looking. It's been... We're almost... We're creeping on two hours. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, we're not. We're, no, we're not. We're over, we're over an hour and a half. We're over an hour and a half. Okay, good. We're at show length. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> well, there was one other show I wanted to ask you about okay. that I forgot. It's called Flaked. Flaked. And I saw ads for it, and I was like, oh, that looks really good. And then I never saw any of it. I did half a first season. It okay. was it was an interesting thing, and it was it was totally scheduled this way. It was a, it was an interesting thing, um, yeah. It was Wally Fister was the showrunner, yeah, okay. directing it, really, yeah. And uh, Will Arnett's in it, and it's pretty much Will Arnett's story about him, like true story. Yeah, it's kind of his story about him atoning for uh, for everything, you know, for his uh, alcoholism. 
In real life? In real life. Oh, really? It's oh, a, I didn't it's know a, that. It's a very, very personal story to him. It's a, it's a, it's a fun little show. It's like him It's in, very quirky. It's in Venice, right? It's in Venice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very quirky. Yeah, yeah. It looked quirky. It was on... Yeah. Where was it? Like FX or was it Netflix? Netflix. Oh, it was Netflix? Netflix. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks cool. Why did you only do half the... Uh, because the other operator was only able to do half... Oh, okay. Um, and so I came in and did the middle four episodes. It was only supposed to be eight episodes. He did the first two episodes. I did the middle four episodes, and he did the last two episodes. Gotcha. And it all worked out. You know, it, it was fun. It was a good experience, and um, it was shot with the red, which kind of not a major fan of the red. Oh, was it? Yeah. Which? What are they? What's the new one? I, There's like a new one every five minutes. Yeah, the newest one is the Gemini, the red Gemini. Because it does dual ISO. So they wanted to call it the Gemini. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. But uh, Red did announce at NAB <laughs> Sorry, this year. Do I, seem, do I seem super excited? Yeah. <laughs> I have to be careful. I am the technical chairman of the SOC, so I have to be happy with everybody's product. Um, Why? It's, it's, it's better for... All right. Fine. Better for the, better for the group. That's fine. Um, Red did announce something that I thought was encouraging was is that they're not changing the dimensions of the body until 2022. So all cameras built from two years ago to 2022 will all be the same dimensions. So all the accessories will work. Wow. They've... So they're actually thinking of us. Of us, right. I was thinking they're actually thinking. Oh, yeah. good for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, now, I shouldn't shoot them down too hard. I've yeah. done stuff with them. It's fine. But yes, it's been a real pain in the ass trying yeah. to build a red to fit on your shoulder properly exactly. for years. And then, oh, good, this new one's different. Right. And now, you know, um, Tom, Dick, and Harry, who own the camera, have some crazy accessories I've never heard of. Right, exactly. That don't work with this thing that I bought to make this work. It's like, oh my God. Well, it's amateur hours, what it is. What it is, is it's, it's you know, a lot of people don't remember this. I mean, Airy, back in the 70s and 80s, was that way. The no camera was the same dimension. Right. It was all different. I always referred to Airy was a collection of parts. Whereas Panavision was a system. Because Panavision, everything worked together in a system, clip, 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 away you they go. They called it a camera and lens system yep. and the whole thing. And, right. and yeah. there's an advantage to a system. And and it's very interesting. You know, When the Alexa came out, Aerie went, oh, hold on, we're going to make a system now. Mm -hmm. And they've done very well building a system. Well, they had one before that. They did, but you know, the body dimensions of an LT were a lot different than the 435, were a lot different than the 535, were a lot different than the BL4. <laughs> no, no, that's true, but like, as far as like cabling, yeah, um, map boxes, rods, right. different right. stuff, I mean, yeah. And I mean, and, and the work... the Base work, plates, this right, and that. And the work Phil Vischer's doing over at, at PCA Pro Camera Accessories, you know, the, the vision at Aerie, his stuff's, I mean, he keeps going simpler more universal simpler more universal i mean it's really fantastic oh, watching yeah. watching what he's doing just such a pain i mean yeah. i remember i remember at the beginning of my career just having all these little tiny bits and brackets just for different cameras you know well i mean think about how many low mode brackets we own yeah you know i mean 
you had to have a sushi table for a BL. You had to have the 435. You had to have the Airy 3 stuff. You had to have I'll be SR. I'll be honest. I've always been anti-buying more crap. Right. So I've always found... I had a couple of things, but for the most part, they came from the rental house. Yeah, or, I, and, or I rented them from somebody well, else. Well, but getting back to me starting my career in St. Louis, I didn't uh, have the rental house. So I had to be good able to service whatever cameras good I had point. in the market. Even, even in Orlando, I, yeah. had, I had Panavision. And in, in my market, there was a 435, there was a, a 35.3, there was a BL3, or sorry, no, it was a BL4S. There was... Right, you know, so you had to own everything. So I had to own everything at that point. Right, yeah. sure, sure. I mean, and that's one of the reasons... And you couldn't make a call the night before and get somebody to drop you off one. Right. Yeah, I right. get it, I get it. Yeah. You know, I... I I worked with this one director cameraman for years because, you know, we're in Indianapolis and they moved the camera from rolling on a carpet because the dolly shot didn't look great to putting it up on the track. And in doing so, whoever serviced the camera didn't lock down the board connectors inside the BL. And we went and hit the power switch and the BL didn't turn over. And 10 minutes later, I had the camera up and running mm-hmm. because I just, you know, I took everything apart, figured out where the, uh, the connector was put it back together camera ran right and the guy was like dude i'm calling you from now on to be my ac because you you fixed it because we were shooting on a sunday in indianapolis could we get a camera nope it'd be tuesday when we got a camera next right you know yeah 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 for sure So when you're working in a small market you have you have a bit of an advantage of having to be able to think outside the box yeah 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 for sure and the reality is is this camera operators all we are is professional problem solvers yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I It used to be more that way. Yeah, it still is. Mm. We have so many overlords now. Yeah, but part of the problem solving is, is figuring out if you're listening to mom or dad. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's true. No, that's a good point. And no, I, I, I get your point. You're right. It's not... I I hesitate to call it that. I don't know why, but it's more like constant wrangling. Yeah, of, I mean, I've you know. I've had I've had situations where the DP is like, I know the director wants to do that shot. Don't do that shot, and the director in the middle of the take comes over, and literally, you know, you're down on an apple box hunched over the camera, and literally lays down on top of you and says, "Give me the damn shot I'm asking for." Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I really don't have a choice now. I got to go with mom. I can't go with dad. <laughs> yeah. I've done that before and got screamed at for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got screamed at. And I'm like, the director was laying on me. I had no choice. You want, I don't care. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, exactly. I don't care. Exactly. Yeah, well, you do it then. Yeah. No? But you can't say that. That's yeah. my job. Well, that Sometimes was, your job is to get yelled at a little, which I think is total bullshit. But yeah. that, was, that was actually one of the interesting conversations at the... Uh, I just finished on Sunday. We finished teaching the uh, Camera Guild Operators Workshop. And that was one of the interesting conversations of how do you deal when, you know, the director and the DP don't see eye to eye on a show, you know, you don't for long. Right. That's the, that's the answer to that question. Yeah. Because eventually you're going to piss one of them off. Well, or both of them off. Or sometimes you have to pick which one you're going to piss off. That's my point. And like, you're going to piss one, one or both off and they're, you know, unless like I've been in a situation where the DP was like stomping his feet like a child. Don't do that. I don't like that. And, but the director's like the boss, you know, 
But the director could see exactly what was going on. Yeah. So the director was totally cool. Well, and, and, and I also that, knew. That I also to, yes, I also have to make sure the producers know what's going on. Well, yeah. Well, this case, this is a big right. director on a smaller movie, mm-hmm. so they knew, you know. But, but uh, it was just interesting because I knew, like, oh, this director will protect me anyway. Right. Even if this guy were to try to fire me, the right. director won't be having it. Right. You know, so that can put you at ease finding that place, your place in yep. the, your place in the world. But I've been in other situations yep. where it's just. Well, and it's all part of the minefield of operating. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's still the best job on set. It is most of the time. <laughs> Even when I'm on my fourth shirt of the day, drenched in sweat, it's still the best job. I'm on so set. much more cynical than I used to be. And by the way, I'm never on my fourth shirt of the day. Good for you. I'm almost always on my first, <laughs> and it just smells a little. <laughs> I at, least, I at least try to be nice to everybody on set. Nah, I'm not like that. I'm nice to people on set too. It's just uh, I sweat so much instantly. So do I. That there's no point. Well, and I mean, uh, lunch. And, yes. And, and the nice thing is, is, is everybody understands that we're carrying 70 extra pounds. So they're like, they understand. Yeah, but why that's we get that but way. that's the thing. Like, but, like I talked about that day in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I was soaking wet at rehearsal. I know. I, I didn't have the rig up yet. Yeah. Like, they were building it by well, the truck. Well, like, at that point, you don't change your shirt. But, you know, when you're working on stage and you're you're dripping in sweat. No, no, know, no. You, I get, nice. you get my point, yeah, though. No, you I get, get my it. Point. I totally yeah, get yeah. it. I'm lucky, too. I don't tend to tend to stink too bad. Yeah. I smell of bourbon slightly. <laughs> but it's kind of sweet, so yeah, I don't exactly. mind. <laughs> exactly. Well, the trick is stay stay hydrated. You won't stink. Speaking of hydrating, I'm I'm out of beer. Ah. So it's time to get a beer, and I guess this it's over. It's over. It's over, man. Oh, man. <laughs> But it was fun. It was. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks again to Eric for coming in, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, just for the record, um, Eric and I did not drink all the beers in my fridge. We tried, but we didn't accomplish that. So we'll have to try again sometime. Um, anyway, uh, thanks again for listening, and catch you next week. <laughs>